Welcome to Mysteries and Mimosas. My name is Max Sterling, and I'm here with Aria Sterling for a Mystery Monday episode. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So, how's your week? Mm, it was busy. I'm tired. Mine was busy. I'm tired. I'm more tired than you are. 100%. Probably. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, unfortunately... I think I have a good case to present for Mystery Monday, but unfortunately we only have one that we're doing. I only wanted to do this one because it's super interesting and I don't think there's a whole lot of attention for it, which is the purpose of Mystery Monday, but also I I do think there is a lot of media coverage, but there's just not a lot of information. So that's where we're at. All right. I'm excited to hear about this one. I don't know anything about it. Well, before we get started... Please check us out at mysteriesandmimosas.net where you can give us episode suggestions. And we did get one episode suggestion. I was going to do it as a Mystery Monday, but it's way too long. So as soon as we find a place to land, and actually I think it'll be a long one, it'll be really good, uh, we'll get going on that. But um, this one is uh, the story of Lena Kill. I think that's how you said it. It's K-H-I-L, Kill. Um, But in 2019, Lena Sardar Kill arrived in the United States with her mom and dad. See, she's an Afghan refugee from Afghanistan. Okay. So after arriving in the United States, Lena and her family were living in an Afghan refugee community in San Antonio, Texas. But in 2021, three-year-old Lena Kill became missing. I say she became missing because law enforcement doesn't have any information to support whether she was abducted or whether she's just missing. Hmm. So, you know, typically you can do, you're running an investigation one of two ways. Either you're looking at an abducted child or a missing person, meaning that maybe she wandered away and just, you know, fell ill to circumstances. Um, Whereas, you know, with the abduction, there's foul play involved. So because they can't really say one way or the other, they kind of treated it as like a missing person slash abduction case. You know, if you think about being an Afghanistan refugee, you have no family connections in the U.S. So they didn't know anybody here? They had no other family here or anything? No, not as far as I can tell, other than probably other, you know, Afghanistan refugees in the community they were living in. Okay. So her disappearance is definitely out of character. So, you know, remember, she's only three years old, new to the United States, new to life, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, on December 20th of 2021... Lena was playing on a playground in the 9400 block of Fredericksburg Road near her San Antonio home when she went missing. The family lived near the park in Villa del Cabo Apartments, which is the playground, you know, the park playground where she became missing from. Okay. Um, So the initial police response included a neighborhood canvas, um, which if you don't know what a neighborhood canvas is, it's just where police kind of knock on doors. They go door to door, see if anybody saw anything, heard anything knows anything even you know if it's you know a minute piece of information like oh hey you know neighbor billy over there is kind of strange um you know they're just looking for anything and everything and they sure even like dissect it all camera ring ring doorbell footage that kind of stuff too yeah any any surveillance video camera any knowledge like hey do you know the family what's their history you know um they just try to get a big painting you know paint a picture of kind of what's going on So the family lived, like I said, near the park in those uh, Villa del Cabo apartments. You would think that 
playing in a park near the apartments, you would feel somewhat safe, right? Yeah. I mean, you're near your home. Uh, you know, allegedly her parents were watching her pretty closely. So you would think that even taking your kid to the park, you should be able to relax a little bit and let your kid play. So they probably felt some level of comfort. And so there. both parents were there with her? That I'm not sure. I'm not, okay. you know, I've done some research. I'm not able to find who is there. Best I could tell her mom was definitely there. Um, I don't know where her dad was. Maybe he was there. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. So the lead detective in Lena's case is Jeremy Voles. He's a special victims unit detective with the San Antonio Police Department. Um, he's been working diligently on Lena's case since 2021. Now, that's, that's what I do for a living. I'm a special victims unit detective, and I can tell you that there's not a day that goes by in uh, Jeremy's life that he doesn't think about Lena mm-hmm. and her case. You know, he probably goes to bed thinking about it, wakes up thinking about it, um, you know, in addition to Lena's case, he probably has a caseload of other cases that he's having to pay attention to as well. So that's important to think about. Sure. So early on in the investigation, the FBI was brought in to assist the San Antonio Police Department um, and Detective Vols. It's not uncommon in uh, cases like this, especially, you know, she's an Afghanistan refugee. So I would imagine they would have some sort of FBI task force that's in the area that that helped. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that they can do early on in an investigation like this, such as, you know, kind of seeing like cell phone records, who's in the area, things like that. Um, there's a lot of stuff they can do, but I don't know what was done. It's not unusual to have multi-agency responses in cases like this, especially if it's a major incident. And this appeared to be that, um, a major incident, meaning a missing kid, you don't know if she's safe and it becomes kind of like, a well-known in the media. Did her mom see her get taken from the park or? No, she... nobody saw her get taken. So when police went door to door talking to the neighbors in an attempt to gather information into her disappearance and after interviewing neighbors and witnesses, they pretty much were turned up empty handed. They didn't have anything to go on except for one piece of evidence, which is a ring video camera, which revealed video footage of Lena at the playground. Hmm. So it showed her at the playground, but not getting abducted or walking away. None of that is shown on the camera. Yeah. So the camera, it shows her on the playground and what it does is it basically shows them that she was there Mm -hmm. and it gives them a description. You know, I think it's a good job for detectives, you know, I mean, they should definitely be recognized for their hard work in finding that video evidence because that's, that's a critical piece of evidence. I think in this case that could easily have gone overlooked had they not done an early neighborhood canvas. So, you know, when, whenever, you know, you have, you, whenever you have a police response um, of this magnitude in the area, sometimes you have information and you may not think it's relevant, but it, you know, like this is a very small piece of video footage and maybe you would think it was irrelevant, but this becomes quite relevant because what they're able to do is verify that she was at the park and verify her description. Okay. So Lena was wearing a red dress, a black jacket and black shoes. The video is kind of pixelated, but it shows Lena walking around the playground. And when she leaves the camera view, she's never seen or heard from again. Oh, wow. So So she just walks off view and nobody, nobody knows where she went. Nobody saw her. I assume there were other people at the park, other kids, other parents. 
Yeah, no, you can see. I mean, like I said, it's super pixelated um, because that you know they have to zoom in to even see her. Sure. Um, and that's released. There's a Facebook page dedicated to Lena, and you can find that video on there. Um, it's posted over and over and over again. So it's not, it's not super hard to find if you just scroll down a little bit on the Facebook page and I'll, I'll link it on our source material. But yeah, it's, you know, there are other people in the park, but there's nothing to indicate there's any, like anything nefarious going on. There's mm. no, I mean, obvious adults. There's one person that people on the Facebook page are speculating is an adult dressed in green. But when you look at the full video, um, or like a, a I guess a zoomed out portion of that video to me, it just kind of looks like another kid playing there. I, I'm not sold that it's an adult. Okay. I don't think it has. I mean, maybe it does, but I don't think it has anything to do with Lena's disappearance. Of course, I don't have the full video either. Right. But based on what I saw, it doesn't look like it has anything to do with her disappearance. I mean, she walks off the video and that's it. Hmm. Done. Can you see, I wonder, or I don't know if you know, is her mom on the video? No, I don't, you don't see, I don't see her mom. I don't, like I said, I don't see any adults. I don't know who she was there with, mm -hmm. but according to Lena's father, Ria's kill, uh, the video was taken approximately 20 minutes before her disappearance. So hmm. I don't know if that's, you know, 20 minutes from the time she walks off, 20 minutes from the start of the video. I don't know, but it, I mean, it's immediately preceding her disappearance is, is it's safe to say. Okay. So detectives continue to follow up on leads, but as time passes, the leads become fewer and fewer. Obviously, they were getting inundated with hundreds of leads early on in uh, 2021. But over the years, you know, they might get one or two a month. It, it definitely slows down quite a bit. But since her disappearance, Lena's family has solicited help from a retired law enforcement officer who works with other retired agents on the case. Um, I think they volunteer their time the best I can tell. Um, but they follow up on leads and they hand over information as they receive it to the San Antonio Police Department. So one of the things that they did, which is, you know, I would think would be this is something that what I would have probably done early on. I've had cases like this and we definitely start pulling sex offenders in the area. We look at registered sex offenders and and we look to see if they have any patterns of those crimes, you know, just to kind of not so much to develop them as a suspect, but maybe just to see, is this person a viable option to have committed this crime? Sure. But at this point, they don't even know if a crime has been committed, right? I right. Mean, she's she could have missing. just wandered off. Right. So as detectives or the, I guess, retired agents start looking through the sex offenders in the area, they're specifically looking for those sex offenders with convictions related to sexual assault on a child or some sort of sexual exploitation charges. Um, uh, for obvious reasons, right? Right. She's three. I mean, typically when you see missing children, there's a good chance that there is that sexual assault nexus from a sex offender because your typical person doesn't have any reason to kidnap a child other than that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, it does happen. Yes, they do kidnap them and raise them as their own. Mm -hmm. But typically that they kind of go hand in hand. So that's why they would look at that. So when they were looking through these sex offenders... Uh, registered sex offenders, uh, registered sex offenders in the area. They found one person who was arrested in September, I think of 2021. They're not clear, but he was arrested for possession of child pornography with the intent to distribute. Hmm. The interesting thing about this person, he was never, I guess, formally 
thought to be a suspect in the case, um, but they never released his name either. The the weird thing about this person, though, he was known to the family. And I don't know if he's, you know, I don't think that he's necessarily a relative or anything or living in the same apartment, anything like that. But they somehow knew him. They somehow knew him. But remember, this is an Afghan, you know, refugee community. I was just going to say, though, like, they they don't really know anybody in the area. So for them to not only know somebody, but somebody with that history, well, that's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, you know, they've been, they've been in the U S since 2019. I don't know if that's late 2019, early, early 2019, but we can assume anywhere from two years to a year and a half, roughly that they've been here. Mm -hmm. So assuming that they've been in this apartment complex and this refugee site, for that long, they probably did make friends inside the community. That's true. I'm sure, you know, maybe through work or whatever, but either way, I don't know how they know this person. I don't know this person's name. It's never been publicly released, Hmm. Um, but he was never, you know, elevated to that level of being a suspect either. So, you know, I don't know what work they did, but maybe they cleared this person. I just think it's a, a pretty good investigative technique to develop those suspect profiles. Yeah, absolutely. So the family, though, received an anonymous tip stating Lena was alive and in Los Angeles, California. So according to the family, they shared this information with law enforcement in California. And after looking into it, the law enforcement there said, you know, of course, there's a language barrier. But they said that that lead didn't turn out to be credible either. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So they probably do have a communication barrier. Do they have a translator or somebody that helps them out with that? Yeah, actually, Lena's family, they don't speak English and they do have translators. They have translators when they talk to the media. They have a translator when they talk to police. Um, And most recently, Lena's dad has publicly stated he feels frustrated with the lead detective and his response and his lack of communication. So he even went so far as to ask for Lena's case to be reassigned. Hmm. Now, you know, I want to talk about this for a minute because I have a couple schools of thought on this. Um, There's two different ways that you can handle family. I do it a little bit different than other detectives. And I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just telling you how I do things. Mm -hmm. I make it a point to make sure I communicate with my victims and the family as much as possible because I do like to keep them updated, even if there is no update. If I haven't talked to a victim for a couple of weeks, I might just check in and say, hey, just so you know, I haven't forgot about you. Mm-hmm. Still working on your case. Here's what's been done. Here's what I'm waiting for. There's been times where I, you know, I'm waiting on like lab results, for example, or, or um, other things in the investigation that just takes time. And in those cases, I'll let the person know, hey, I'm waiting on this. As soon as I hear something, I'll let you know. At least kind of letting the victim know, hey, you know, we're working on it. And when that time comes, I'll be in touch. Some detectives don't want to have that duty um, or that responsibility. So they'll use their victim advocates as kind of a a buffer. Mm -hmm. And they'll give updates to the victim advocate and say, hey, let me know when you talk to the family. Keep them updated. Um, Either way, I don't think either way is wrong as long as family members are getting updates they need. Not necessarily updates they don't. Sure. Because there are a lot of instances where you don't you don't want to reveal anything about the investigation. 
because you want to keep some of that information to yourself, specifically information that only a suspect would know. Yeah, that makes complete sense. You can't, in an open case like that, you can't, you have to be really careful what information you release to who. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, when it comes to that stuff, that type of information, I always tell people, hey, there may become a time in this case where I can't tell you something. If you ask me a question about it, I'll just tell you, hey, I do know that I do know the answer, but I can't tell you. And that's hard. I, I get it. It's hard for a family. They, I, I can only imagine, you know, if my three-year-old went missing, I would want to know everything that was happening too, so I can understand the frustration from both sides. Sure, but, you know, in order to get ahead of that, I think that at least in my experience, it's well-received when I have to have that conversation if I set that precedence early on. And if people have that expectation going into it knowing, oh, I remember early on in this when he first got assigned this case, he told me if he knew something and couldn't tell me, he would just be honest. And so that's why I think setting clear expectations with victims is very, very important because, and I'm not saying that, you know, this detective, Jeremy, I don't, I'm not saying that he didn't set those expectations, but he, he probably did. But, you know, with the language barrier, it, it may not have been received like it would be with the rest of his victims. Sure. So as far as I could tell, the news articles that I've looked into, you know, San Antonio Police Department said, no, this case is not going to be reassigned. So that tells me they have complete and 100% confidence in the lead detective who's assigned the case. Otherwise, they would take it from him and reassign it. So most recently, actually as much as last week or as early as last week, detectives from the San Antonio Police Department followed a new lead researching an open space. Researching, not like looking into, but searching searching it again. again. Uh, They searched it again, an open space, Greenbelt, near the area where Lena was last seen. The search included a wooded area behind the Helix apartment complex on Blue Mill Road in San Antonio, which is near the location, like I said, where Lena went missing. However, after an extensive search, detectives say the tip was not credible. They had no evidence found. They didn't find anything, but they were looking for a body. Hmm. There are a few articles that you can read online uh, as, as early as just three days ago that said an uh, inmate in one of the local county jails there, um, kind of led them on this search. So they're not saying whether it was an inmate or not, but, you know, news agencies, they're pretty savvy. They they say they saw detectives with an inmate in that wooded green belt. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, you know, who knows what, what is true and what's not. You know, detectives are saying it's not credible. So, you know, maybe <laughs> it's it's sad to say, but sometimes... As stupid as it sounds, inmates just want a day out of jail. Yeah, that's true. And they'll make up whatever whatever. they can Mm -hmm. to get out of jail. And I know that seems kind of unbelievable, but, you know, you have an inmate saying, hey, I know where Lena's body is. If you don't believe them and you just sleep on that information and it turns out to be true, how stupid do you look? Right, Right? exactly. So they're, they're taking every lead seriously. They're looking into it as much as possible, and they exhaust these leads, and they... They keep working, and that's what they're doing. So while I understand Lena's father's frustration with what he believes to be a lack of communication, you know, I I have 100% faith that the San Antonio Police Department is actively investigating this with all of their resources Mm -hmm. that they possibly have. So as we mentioned, Lena was last seen wearing a red dress, a black jacket, and black shoes. 
She has brown eyes, straight brown, shoulder-length hair, and she was last seen wearing her hair in a ponytail. Lena was three years old at the time of her disappearance, and she would be six years old today. Her birthday's in February. She just had a birthday. Hmm. So if you have any information about Lena's disappearance, please contact the San Antonio Police Department's Special Victims Unit at 210-207-2313. Yeah, I was actually just looking at this, and her birthday is in two days. She was born on February 20th, so she will have a birthday here in a couple days. Oh, yeah. Nope, that's my mistake. I'm already thinking it's March. Wow, you're way ahead. Way ahead. Yeah, I'm ready for Christmas. Oh, my god! I'm not even going to take the Christmas decorations down. <laughs> Remember, I told you. Yeah. Christmas is over, but oh. not in my heart. Oh, my gosh. It's always Christmas in my heart. I don't ever think it's too early to celebrate. But anyway, St. Patrick's Day is in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about that, but it's an Irish holiday, right? Yes. And people drink beer. Yep. Green, I'm Green not a beer. beer drinker. Yeah, me either. Um, that sounds fun. I'm more of a Cinco de Mayo person yeah. myself. But yeah. uh, hey, if it's an excuse to drink mimosas, I'm in. <laughs> do they drink mimosas <laughs> in Ireland? They, I have no idea. I'm I don't sure they do. I don't know if they drink mimosas on well, St. Patrick's Day. You know Day. what? St. Patrick's Day, stay tuned because St. Patrick's Day in March will bring a green mimosa. Oh, yeah. Like, like the, the Grinch. Grinch one? Yeah. yeah. This one will be better. Okay. I don't know. I'll figure out a way to put like shamrocks or something in it. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's a rough go with you today. Me? Yeah, you. Uh, You're staring at me with like a lot of disappointment. It's not disappointment. I'm tired. (laughs) I feel, you know, this is the same look I get from you when I knew something was to be done today, but I didn't do it. That's the same look you're giving me right now. No. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, no I don't know tell that me look. how I feel. <laughs> and I know that look, and this is not that look. All right, boys and girls, stay tuned on Wednesday. Full episode. In the meantime, this episode is done, son. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>